We're gonna swim, bike and run In the corner sun We're gonna swim, bike and run In the corner sun 2021 Thank you, Poncho Man. Welcome, everybody, to Breakfast with Bob. Not quite Conan edition. My name is Bob Babbitt. We're brought to you by Challenge North America Speedo Try. You can Hoka One Oni Velo Fix Canyon Bikes Normatech and our Challenge Athletes Foundation. We just sent out 3,038 grants, totaling $5.1 million to keep challenged athletes in the game of life through sport. Our next guest, she just made our U.S. triathlon Olympic team the youngest person to ever do that. Taylor Nib joins us. Taylor, first of all, congratulations. What a great race. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me. I feel honored. I've watched uh, Kona shows, so I feel like I, <laughs> I still haven't made it to Kona, so I feel like I don't deserve to be here. You certainly deserve to be here. And, and what's fascinating to me is when we look at the, the developmental program for the U.S. over the years, I mean, Gwen Jorgensen and Katie Zafaris and Summer, uh, Summer Rappaport, they all were recruited out of college. You were, you, you're one of the people who started, you got into the sport really young. Was it through your mom as an Ironman? Yes, exactly. And I worked my way up through the junior circuit. And actually, I think about half of our national team now did the junior series. So it shows how, like, there are two pathways now that USAT yes. has, and it's, I was so grateful for that pathway. So you did your first triathlon, what, you were 10 years old, something like that? I think 11. Oh, 11. <laughs> and you knew right away that, that you loved it. Yes, but it was more just like, this is fun. I enjoy this. <laughs> it wasn't like, I want to do this when I'm 23. That was not <laughs> in yeah. my Yeah. When, when did it get to the point where you felt like, because I, when I look at your, at high school, you ran in high school and you had to make a decision, right? Between, uh, and then sw you're swimming. Do I, do I swim or do I play ice hockey? It's like you had so many opportunities and so many different sports you were good at. And in the meantime, you're still doing triathlon in the background while you're doing swimming and running and hockey. And was it a tough decision to give up ice hockey to, to swim? Well, actually it like, it was very good timing, but it was a hard decision. And I actually made the decision during a swim practice. So I think I was a little bit biased. I, <laughs> I was like going through the decision in my head and like, I just thought I can't give this up. I love this sport. I love doing this. Um, maybe if I'd been at a hockey practice doing it, I, my life would have been extremely different, <laughs> but I'm grateful. And I think it worked out, but we'll see. You can talk to me in 20 years. <laughs> So 2015 and 16 USA Triathlon Junior Elite National Champion, 2015 ITU Junior World Championship Silver Medal. Uh, one of the races that, that really impressed me was, I think it was 2017, I think it was Edmonton, and it was you and Flora Duffy. I mean, I think you're 19 years old and you just went off the, you went off with Flora Duffy, who was going for her fourth win in a row. Uh, did you ever feel, okay, this, She's the best in the world right now. I'm 19 years old and I think she's gonna go with her. <laughs> yeah, well, I think in the race, you're not thinking that rationally. It's just more like she went, so I went and no one happened to come with us. But yes, I was not thinking that. It, it wasn't a plan before the race. So <laughs> I was just grateful. <laughs> but you get silver at that race. And that was that a, a little bit of an eye opener for you that, okay, uh, this is, I, I can, you knew you're gonna be good but that you could be great. Well, I don't know if I, 
know I can be great. That's the thing. So still a bit of time, but I think like, I feel like that was a bit ahead of myself developmentally. It was my third WTS race. I was still in college. It was just kind of not a lucky race, but very much a lucky race. And so it's given me a little bit of confidence, but at the same time, like I hadn't been back on the podium for four years. So that's also hard because was that a fluke? So there's like both sides of the argument to be made that it helped and hurt confidence. So is, I know that at one point you worked with Neil Henderson. Is Neil your coach? No, I'm working with Ian O'Brien now. Okay. And so when you're working with, do you, you, when you were in college, you, you ran all four years and, oh, and that's one of my favorite things. So it's not like you had much of an option when you decide where you're going to go to college. So your mom went to Cornell, your maternal grandparents went to Cornell, your two cousins went to Cornell, your three uncles went to Cornell. I, I'm sort of guessing that when it was college time, it was, there weren't a lot of different options that you were thinking about. No, actually, the funny thing is that I feel like, so I actually applied everywhere regular and regular decision. So like I made my decision like the last possible day, pretty much. And I didn't want to go to Cornell. I really didn't because I was the 10th person in my family to go to Cornell. I wanted something different, but it just like kept pulling me back in, I feel like. <laughs> and the run coach, um, Artie Smith, really sold it for me. Yeah. Um, but yes, I did not want to go and it just happened to work out. Like I felt like it just like different schools would drop off, but like Cornell just kind of lingered there in the background and I'm like, okay, I guess this is happening, but I didn't want it. So the balance between a lot of times when you're in college, your coach obviously wants you to be focused on what you're doing there. And then when you're, you're also in triathlon, did the coaches work together to make sure that they didn't burn you out? Yes. So the coaches were incredible. Um, both my, the triathlon coaches I was working with and the coaches I was working with at Cornell, because they were really concerned with my long-term development and they kind of knew that, okay, triathlon's the focus, but this is a great opportunity to get to run and eventually also swim. My cross country coach is actually the one who brought it up. He's like, you know, I think that you should join the swim team. Your swims and triathlon are really struggling. And I feel like you need to be able to train with people. Like I, do better when I'm training with people. I'm just right. like, happier and it's just more enjoyable. So yeah. it was like, I'm forever grateful. I think it's, it's a very unique experience because I don't think that your college run coach normally says, I think you should join the swim team to help your triathlon racing. Yeah. <laughs> but it was awesome. I, I love that. So you swam as a senior uh, at Cornell. Yes. And doing a thousand free 1650. And then you're, you're, uh, you became captain of the cross country team? Yes. <laughs> so just going into this, the whole COVID time, how did you handle that? Not knowing, because really everything should have happened last year, right? You have the qualification, uh, the Yokohama race, uh, all that type of stuff. With everything being canceled, how did you stay focused? Well, so my experience is probably very different from most because so everything got like canceled in March and I had, I was working on my senior thesis. You don't have to as an undergrad at Cornell, but I decided I wanted to probably not the smartest decision if I had wanted to make the Olympic team last year. So like all of March, April, beginning of May, I was completely busy, but not training, yeah. <laughs> barely training. I would not have been ready in Yokohama last year. I know that. Um, and so I like, I regretted that because it was like, I saw like, okay, I put too much on my plate, but 
the good news was for that period of time, I had something to focus on. And so that was like a very big positive to me. And then actually last summer, I also got injured. I was just like easing back into training. And then I got injured at the beginning of July. And I, so I was working with Neil Henderson at the time and we decided that it would be smarter to just like not to race in 2020 at all because the season would be September, October and that would be kind of quick to come back. I was gonna be eight weeks in a boot. I had a tendon tear. So we just wanted to play it safe. But so, so I gained a lot of certainty like beginning of July because I knew I'm not racing. So it was like, it sounds horrible but it probably helped me in the long run because like people still didn't know like a few weeks out from Hamburg if it was happening. There was, they were dealing with a lot more uncertainty whereas for me, it just wasn't even an option. So like <laughs> it, it, there wasn't a lot of triathlon in 2020 for me, both training or racing, but I think that may have helped. Yeah. And so take me through Yokohama and actually in coming back from the injury, the nice thing is again, you didn't have a schedule. It didn't matter what was going on because you weren't, you weren't going to be racing. When did you start feeling like, okay, here's my plan for this year. It's like the whole world just got put on hold. So this Yokohama thing that you wouldn't have been ready for last year, you would have basically six, seven months to focus on that particular race. Yes, I wasn't really just focused on that race. I was hoping to be ready. in the season. Yeah, and just like the season and the opportunity it holds. Because I feel like Olympic years hold opportunities, especially for younger athletes when everyone's focused on the Olympics and then like younger athletes can get more racing. Um, and it's kind of a weird, like, it's almost like 2016 and 2017 combined, um, which I got some WTS starts in because of that. So I was just planning to take every opportunity that I could. Um, but then the March races got canceled, the April races got canceled. And this was, Yokohama was my first triathlon in 18 months. Yeah, and that was sort of the nice thing about that is nobody really knows what the level of, of anybody is at that point. I mean, because people, nobody's been racing and it's a little bit of a blank slate. So yeah, Yokohama, have you raced on the Yokohama course before? No, it was always during my final exam period. So it wasn't like I could just go to Japan. <laughs> but. You seem to do better when there's a, when it's technical, when there's some hills, is Yokohama that type of course? It was very technical and I was not good on the technical sections. I actually, I decided to race in one of my older bikes or my older bike that was mechanical and actually rim brakes because we weren't going to have access to our bikes. So I didn't want the stress of like having to charge my DI2 or anything like that. I just wanted to limit the options and be like, you know what? Like this is just going to be the best race for the lead up and the race itself. Cause I wanted to have, be able to shift during the race and you never know with DI2. <laughs> so, um, but I wish I'd had disc brakes on some of the corners and Maya Kingma who I broke away with was exceptional on those corners and she showed me I have a lot of work to do but um and like I don't think it was necessarily the course meant for a breakaway but that was my only option so I had to make it happen so you you guys break away it was with what Maya Kingma uh you guys went 25k and 40k you guys got a 90 second gap on the field were you 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 know obviously that you could make the Olympic team but I didn't know. I don't think you can know. know something like that until you do it. So what did you, knowing now, looking back, what did you have to win to make the team? Or did you have to finish top eight, top three? What was the setup? Well, so for the American women, it was the, you had to be the first American on the podium who hadn't already qualified. 
So, um, and I kind of knew, and the USAT already said that their third spot would be discretionary, period. Um, But it was just going to be, were there one or two spots discretionary? And I knew based on the American women and my lack of race results in 2019, I did not race super well consistently that if I wanted to go, I had to automatically qualify. And my coach was joking that I, I kept telling USAT that in our meetings, like over the winter. <laughs> um, like, I think like, I just like, I knew it was, that was my only option. And so sometimes when it's your only option, it's easier because <laughs> you just have to do what you have to do. Exactly. So yeah, the technical bike course. And the American women right now with yourself and Taylor and Summer and Casper uh, uh, and Renee Omelet, you guys are so strong. And it's, when you go into a race, you gotta be thinking sometimes, boy, I sure would like to be, you know, top American, top American is a big deal. I don't think so anymore because I feel like if the top American didn't place very well in a race, we would all be upset. Like (laughs) we we have high standards that are just like relative to the race itself. Um, And the British women are so strong too. And they always make it very difficult, but I don't think that any, I don't think that any of the American women are concerned with being the top American. They just want to be the top athlete. Yeah, that's not even that. But is there a camaraderie among all of you guys? Well, so actually we got to spend a ton of time together in the week because of all the bus rides. And I felt that was like the most time we'd ever spent together because normally everyone has their squads and that's what they do better everyone trains not only all the time but even leading into a race so like the Wednesday before the race 11 Americans were in one lane of the pool because that's just what we had and it was like wow this is the first time I'm swimming in a pool with some of these people wow so you come off the bike you got uh you end up winning by 30 seconds and 154 27 3509 10k when did it sit in that you were going to Tokyo, that you're going to be representing the U.S.? I think it's still sinking in. That's the thing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but it was also like, I just wanted to get to that finish line. By the last lap, I was struggling a bit. So I just like, if you looked at the breakdown of the splits, I probably lost a fair amount of time on that last lap. So I was just like, I was just relieved to get to the finish line and be done. Yeah. Now, what do you know about the Tokyo course? Obviously, it's going to be hot. They moved the race up to make sure it's not that, but I think it's pretty flat. Yeah, so I was able to race it in 2019 at the test event. Yeah. Uh, Did not have a good race there, but I think that might help in that I learned a lot. It's a fairly technical course, a lot of different surfaces that we ride on. Like the blue carpet area is a man-made ramp that I think is still like they constructed it for the test event. They were keeping it up for the games. I'm not sure what happened with the games two yeah. years later versus one, because it kind of ruins the beach there. But um, there are a lot of different surfaces. We go like under an underpass at some point and straight into a 180 turn. So it'll be challenging, but the heat will definitely pay a fa- play a factor too. The other aspect of this year's uh, Olympics is for the first time, we'll see the mixed relay, which I think is going to be so fun and great for television, right? Uh, talk a little bit about the mixed relay, and I'm, I'm guessing that you love it. Yes. I actually raced my first mixed relay in 2013, 
because, which is a little bit before the times, I guess, because at the USA Triathlon Youth and Junior National Championships, there's a mixed team relay the day after the race. And mm-hmm. there are 50 teams, like around 50, maybe even more. It's, it's quite a feat to put on. And so every year, like I'd race one and it's so much fun. It's coming off of a race. It's always hard. It'll be interesting how the, I think there are five days or four days in between the individual races and the mixed team relay. But like the day after it sometimes helps because you're just on cortisol, I think. (laughs) And it's painful, it's fast, but it's fun. And it's unlike anything else in triathlon so far. So now that you're obviously looking ahead is always a toughie. Is this something we talk another Olympic cycle uh, after this going for Paris? Or is it something that you will start mixing in some longer distance races? What are you thinking? That's a good question. I'm not sure yet. Uh, good. There's no reason to be. And you've been training with Jeannie Metzler, who obviously has been on a roll herself, right? They're just just killing it out there. And she's getting second to Daniela Reef at St. George. I'm guessing you were watching that going, oh, my God. And she was eating into the lead, uh, the first part of it. You're thinking, Jeannie's going to get her. She is so impressive. And it's so fun training with her. Um, she's like she's the first person I've really trained with who I can normally like on my college cross country team, I had a little bit more endurance. I might, like, I didn't necessarily always have speed compared to the people, but like, I knew that like, if we got into like the eighth kilometer repeat, like I'd be okay with GD. It's the opposite. <laughs> she is just like, she just gets stronger and stronger and stronger as the workout goes on and faster and faster. And it's incredible. Like I love training with her. She's also the best person ever. I'm sure, you know, um, the sweetest, and like, it just, like, I'm honored to be able to train with her and I'm so happy for how well she's racing. Do you do, do you have any other races coming up before Tokyo or that, or you just stay home and Boulder and focus? So I'm hoping to race Leeds on June 6th. So I'll leave in about two weeks, but okay. it'll be a very quick trip to Europe because of the bubble scenario again. They, so they'll be doing, and how did that work? That obviously looked like it worked well at Yokohama. Yeah, it's incredible that they pulled off the race and they organized everything. We were just, so you had to stay in your hotel room for everything except for like training sessions and the race. Um, meals were delivered and it was a lot of busing to training sessions. We didn't even have our bikes in our room. They were in this big room somewhere else where we trained on trainers. So it was, <laughs> it was unique. That was, I think the best way to describe it, but it was just nice to be able to race. With uh and Boulder's been a great place for you for, in terms of creating a, a training base moving forward? Well, yeah, I've only been here four months, but I'm yeah. really liking it. And I really, when I was, I really wanted to have a home base. A lot of IT, or world triathlon athletes tend to have camps in a lot of locations. And right. one thing I did learn from school is I think that for me, at this stage of my life, I just want a home and even if it means a little more travel, we'll see how it works in a few years. But um, I think that that's just what, and some people might call me soft and soft American, but I think that that's just what works for me. And that's what I'm going to do. So do you swim with swim groups and you know, ride with groups and run with groups? What are you, what are you doing? So our, our training group, our coach and training group is based out of here. So we have swim slots at Rally Sport and we swim together. And then we'll bike and run together. But we did a lot of biking on our own because we had a lot of trainer rides this winter. Um, I love the trainer, so no complaints. <laughs> but <laughs> we didn't ride together as much as I would, some people would have liked. 
That is so cool. Taylor, congratulations on making the Olympic team and just, just how consistent you've been and just getting into this young. It's, you're bringing that next generation. If you look at our past Olympians, they, they've pretty much come through getting identified out of college and having you start so young and come through just that there's a lot of hope for our Americans moving forward. Do you see, you've worked with a lot of the, you're watching the juniors coming up behind you. You see a lot of talent there too? Yes, and I think just the opportunities that USA Two provides are incredible. And I feel like the nice thing is that like you never know when the talent is going to be identified because USA Two just has so many systems in place, which is awesome. But also developed USA Two can develop talent too. They don't just identify it. Well, right, because we always used to say you know, we had a system for the women, right? We knew Gwen, we knew identify out of college, but for the guys, we always felt that you couldn't do it that way because Gomez and Brown, they started when they were seven, eight years old. You're not going to compete with them getting into the sport when you're 20. So it, that didn't seem to work for the men, but it worked for the women. Well, now it's, it seems like the developmental programs working on both sides with Morgan Pearson and yourself and people coming up through the system. It's great. We love yeah. it. Well, and I don't know with like, I feel like Gwen changed the sport in that through like Flora Duffy's result, like not result, but like almost counter in that yeah. cycling's now at a different level in the women's fields. So I wonder like how the pathways will be in the future because it's a different sport now than it was five, six, 10 years ago. How has somebody who's been in it for so long, how has the equipment changed? And I mean, really, and since you're 11 years old, how has it changed? Well, I think one thing that's kind of funny is I was kind of made fun of in the junior ranks for always having aero bars on my bike and like, cause I had them as early as 2013. And now if you look at all the bikes, like not all the bikes, but there are a fair number of aero bars, both because of the mixed team relay, but also because the bike matters so much more now, I feel like. Yes. Um, so that's a, so I feel like maybe it's coming full circle cause doesn't like triathlon kind of work in cycles in ways you'd probably know yeah. better than me. Um, and now we're back in the clip on aero bars on the bikes. <laughs> That's so funny because that's really how it started with the little clip-ons back in like 86, 87. And then it was like, wow, these things made. And I remember the first guy who showed up at a, this, this Desert Princess Duathlon, a guy named Brad Kern shows up and everybody's like, what is that? An irrigation ditch, uh, irrigation pipes on the front of your bike? What the hell are those things? <laughs> and everybody's like, uh, and then he won. And then afterwards, Scott Molina, Scott Tindler were like, well, show me those bars again. What, what do those things do? And that led to, you know, really the first time the bar showed up in Kona was like 1987. And then obviously we've seen variations on that theme ever since. So it's, it's pretty interesting because the mentality used to be for ITU, it was a swim and cruise around on the bike and then run fast. And I mean, you were there during that sort of that era in 2012, 2013. Now you got to hammer the bike, right? Yeah, well, I, I only did my first WTS race in 2016, so I never really experienced it earlier. And my right. first WTS race was Flora Duffy's first WTS win. That's when she broke away in Stockholm. So I feel like I've been exposed to it from the beginning. But it was actually funny. Um, so we had like three different groups of training this yeah. week, and it was based on country. And um, But all the bikes were just in the middle of the room, like on, like I guess, T-Racks, like what you'd have in transitionary almost. Right. And Vincent Louis's bike was there with like these really fancy aero bars. And I was like riding kind of near it. 
And over the course of my hour ride, I think like 20 coaches went up and were like taking pictures of all the bars. And so it's like, everyone's doing, <laughs> everyone's getting intel on everyone else. Absolutely. I mean, the bikes have been, if you look at, you just, you look at the, uh, the guinea pigs that have been over in Kona, right? Cause that's really where everything starts out. You had uh, the Mark Allen's fastest ever bike split was 428. And then all of a sudden, get Cam Wirth going 412 and 408. And if you look at the swim and run times, they really aren't that different from the late 80s when they were running, you know, Mark Allen, Dave's got 240, 241 off the bike. That's sort of what Jan does now. And they're swimming, you know, 49, 50 minutes. That's the same. It's all the bike. That's been, from the longer distance races, the big change has been how fast they're riding the bike and the technology of aerodynamics, et cetera. Do you guys even, do you guys do wind tunnel and things like that for, for um for ITU or I'm not sure what we're supposed to say, but USAT actually did go to the wind tunnel um in November, which was very interesting. I feel like I learned a ton. Um yes. it is a little bit different in ITU, but it's it's just good to learn in general. Absolutely. Hey, thank you, Taylor, for taking time. Such a pleasure to get to chat with you. And my guess is we'll be doing this again. And again, over the years, you see this is a type of sport that you're, you've been doing this so long that something you'll stay in for a while. Well, I mean, if my body holds up, you can never be too sure, but I'd love to. My ultimate aim is to race long course. Um, so hopefully I see you in Kona sometime, but that's, that's a few steps ahead. I haven't even done a 70.3. <laughs> that's okay. There's no reason, no rushing into it. If you can, if you can make a living doing short course, you want to make a living doing short course. That, that's a way to do it. You don't want to be having to do six, seven hour bike rides, even though you obviously love doing that type of stuff. Yeah, I kind of would. <laughs> if my coach put it in as a joke, I would do it. I love it. Taylor, thank you so much for joining us. A pleasure. And congratulations again on making the Olympic team. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Taylor Dib has been our guest, everybody. Again, Breakfast with Bob, not quite Kona edition. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. See ya.